Today what we're going to do is look at two kings of Judah separated. All right, I'm going to try to get all this straight, okay? I have practiced this for a long time and I'm already confusing myself. Are you ready? We're going to look at two kings of Judah separated by two generations with two very similar stories but two very different endings. There we go. See, look at that. All right, so 2 Chronicles chapter 28. So when we find the, the, the nation of Judah in 2 Chronicles 28, it has been a long time since they separated from Israel. When it first began with, with King Saul and King David and King Solomon, it, it, the nation was united. But after the reign of King Solomon, maybe because of his sins, maybe because of the decisions he made, whatever, it splits with his sons. And so it's been a long time since that happened in 2 Chronicles 28. And you come to the king named Ahaz. Ahaz had one problem. He, he only had one problem. He did a lot of sins, but he went back to one specific issue. And it's important to look at the reason why sins actually occur. Okay? Don't just look at the actual sins, but look at, look at the circumstances that, that brought that sin about. Maybe the temptation or so forth. If all we do is ever focus on our specific sins, we're going to be overwhelmed. I mean, that's, that's why we have the scriptures, is to deal with the personality, the, the morality behind our faith. And so, when you look at all the sins that Ahaz does in Second Chronicles 28, which we'll talk about in just a second, they all come back to one problem. That one problem is this. Ahaz had a problem with wanting to be like everybody else, everybody around him. He wanted to fit in with everybody that was around him, all the nations and so forth. So Ahaz takes the throne. He's 20 years old. And he starts off just right out of the bat making decisions that are like a certain nation. In fact, the text says, 2 Chronicles 28 says, that he started making the golden image or, or um, the the. The, the molten image, some of your translations may say. He started making images. He started making little golden calves, as it were. Little golden figures that they would call idols. Now the issue is that that is not a sin that Judah has been overtaken in in the past. Ahaz is the first one. But it's the sin of their brothers in Israel. And you see, Ahaz has a problem. He shows up in many different ways, but Ahaz has a problem with wanting to be like everyone around him. And so he looks up at Israel. Israel seems to be doing just fine at this point. And so he says, well, we need to, we need to be like them. So he starts making golden images. Well, Israel left the Lord a long time ago. In fact, Israel's been sinful from its inception after the, the reign of Solomon. And so the issue is that that Ahaz starting to, to act and be like Israel is bringing new things into Judah because Judah is the only one that somewhat, to, to at least some degree, stay faithful through, through the time of the kings. But anyways, he, he starts bringing in the sins of Israel. And God, rightfully so, they're, they're the nation of God. They're the people of God. And so, like we talked about last week, at times God will allow... Um, Either persecution, First Peter chapter 5, or um, a downturn of some sort. He will allow something to happen to kind of 
wake us up a little bit. And that's what God does to Ahaz. He, he allows the people around him to start coming in and, and tormenting him. Verse number 5, Therefore the Lord his God gave him into the hand of the king of Assyria, who defeated him and took captive a great number of his people and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hand of the king of Israel, who struck him with a great force. You see, he's trying to be like Israel, and yet Israel has turned their back on him. And now he has Syria and Israel fighting against him. So much so, in fact, that in one day, a man named Pekah from Syria and Israel, the combined forces of Syria and Israel, kills 120,000 Judites, Jews, after it's over, tell me how to say that word, okay? I study scriptures all day, every day, and I can't figure out what a person from Judah is supposed to be called. Anyways, he kills 120,000 of them. And then they take 200,000 captive, okay? So you have a people who's supposed to be godly, who's supposed to be the people of God, has now turned their back on God, and so now God is punishing them. He's teaching them a lesson. He's trying to get them to wake up. And it doesn't work because... If you'll turn down uh, to chapter 28, verse 8. Then the men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their relatives, women, and sons. They also took much spoil from them and brought them to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. And he went out to meet the army that came to Syria and said to them, Behold, because the the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you've killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. Some of your translations will say, will have slaughtered them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. Certain chiefs of the men also, Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Jehonan, Barakiah, the son of Mishalelamoth. Yeah, I got that one right, but I can't figure out how to say the people that come from Judah. Anyways, so these people in, in Samaria see these captives coming in, and Oded, a man of God, speaks up and says, wait a second, we have a problem here. God allowed you to do that to Judah to teach them a lesson. But we're much more sinful than they are. And now you're taking captives from them. God never said you could take captives. He said you could go in and and fight against them and kill some of them and teach them a lesson. He never said you could come and subjugate the people of Judah. And so they decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these people, we're going to leave them in Samaria. I don't know why they decided to leave them in Samaria. Maybe it's because they didn't want to admit sin. Maybe it was because they didn't want to admit wrong, whatever it is. They decide they're going to leave them in Samaria. But they give them all of the, all of the spoils of the war. They give them food. They give them clothing. The people that are sick or injured or uh, too old to make the trip back to Judah, they give donkeys to them. And so Israel has realized that God has said something to them. And so they, in a, in a moment of clarity on the part of Israel, which you never see in the Old Testament for the most part, they realize and they give these people their stuff back, they give them clothes, they give them donkeys to ride, and they leave them in Samaria with the understanding that they're going to go back home. But while that's happening, the other nations around them are starting to attack Judah. Because, see, Judah is in the prime position in the Mediterranean where everyone wants that land. Even today, right? We, you know, we have all this turmoil in the Middle East. 
because everyone wants that one strip of land because it's the only strip of land that you can travel on. It's the only strip of land that you can plant anything on. And so, likewise, when the nations around Judah see that Israel and Syria have come in and destroyed 120,000 people in one day, been able to take 200,000 captives, they come in. And so King Ahaz decides, we need help. And so he reaches out to the king of Assyria. Look at verse number 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. For the Edomites had again invaded and defeated Judah, carried away captives, and the Philistines had... Uh, made raids on the cities of, Sh- of the Shephelah and the Negev and, of Judah and at Beth Shemesh and all these other towns and Soka and Timnah and Gizmo and all, all of these other villages. Now everyone is trying to, trying to get this land because they've seen a weakness. And so Ahaz sends word to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, saying, we need help. And he tries to join with One of the most sinful nations on earth at this point. If you read the book of Jonah and Nineveh, and we've talked about how horrible the people of Nineveh were, that's Assyria. Ahaz reaches out to the people who had a pyramid. The the legend is that he had a pyramid of his captives' skulls when you walked into the city of Nineveh. That That the walls were made out of bodies of their captives. Because... You know, if you want help, the best place to look is the most sinful nation on earth. Anyways, so he reaches out to Tiglath-Pileser, but Tiglath-Pileser says, well, uh, if Syria can take you, I definitely can take you. And so he turns on him. Tiglath-Pileser turns on him. Verse 19, the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, the king of Israel. So, verse 20, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. And Ahaz takes a portion of the house of the Lord and the house of the king and the princes. He takes gold, silver, jewels from the temple, from his own house, from the houses of his sons. His son's already dead at this point. You read that earlier in the chapter. And so he takes all of these these riches and he sends them to Assyria to try to buy his way out of this mess that he's put himself in. And it doesn't work. He still, Tiglath-Pileser still turns on him. So, verse 22, here's, here's the crux of the matter. Verse 22, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him. Because the, kings, uh, the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, Cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So let's just overview the 16-year reign of King Ahaz. Are you ready? He takes the throne. He starts making idols. He starts making high places. That's where they would worship their pagan gods. And he starts being like the nations around him. The nations around him turn on him. And so he reaches out to a nation that's not so close, but is very powerful, named Assyria. Assyria sees that he is vulnerable, and they take his gift of jewels and gold and silver and so forth, and say, thank you very much, now we'd like the rest of it. And so they go in and they start destroying Judah. And verse 22 says, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. And he gets upset. He gets mad at God. So he goes into the temple and he cuts up the the 
altar. He cuts up the, the place where worship is. The table of showbed, he breaks it in half. The, the bronze labor, he, he destroys it. He destroys the temple of God. He closes the doors and he says, enough is enough. I give up. I give up on God. It's not working for me. I have tried and tried and tried. We know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we're looking at the overall picture. He hasn't tried at all. But he says he has. And so he shuts the door and he says enough's enough. And he goes and builds altars all over the place. Then his son takes the throne named Hezekiah. Hezekiah restores everything. He opens the doors of the, of the temple. He rebuilds the worship. He even, in chapters 31 and 32, he restores the Passover. And everything is back to normal. Ahaz's horrible reign of, of Judah has been wiped off the map. The only, the only remnant of it is in the, the histories of the people of Judah. And Hezekiah's son, the second king we're going to talk about this morning, takes the throne. His name is Manasseh. That happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, if you want to go ahead and flip over there. 2 Chronicles 23, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals and made Ashtaroth. Worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Manasseh doubles down on the sins of his grandfather. Ahaz doubled down on his own sins and cut up the pieces of the Lord's house and shut the doors. But Manasseh says, you think Ahaz was, was pagan? Watch me. And so he even builds, the text says he, he built the Ashtaroth. The Astaroth is something that we need to focus on in here. And if you write in your, in your Bibles, maybe you can make a note of this out beside it. The Astaroth is not just a, a bronze image. It's not a golden image. It's not a stone image. The Astaroth was a tree. Okay? What they would do is they would grow a tree from, from a seedling. And they, you've seen these topiaries like at Disney World and so forth. that spend, They spend years and years and years building the topiaries. And they'll cut them and they'll bend the branches just right and so forth. That's what Ashtaroth is. The, the tree of Ashtaroth would have been a single tree that was the branches were bent to look like their god. It's the god Ishtar. You, you might have heard of Ishtar before. It's the one that the Catholics uh, took the day of, um, well, took some of the ideas from Ishtar and put it into Easter. Okay. So anyways, so... Not only has Manasseh rebuilt what his grandfather had built and what his father had destroyed, now he's doubled down on it. He built a tree. The problem is, we all know that trees don't just pop up overnight, right? Manasseh reigns for 55 years. The Ashtaroth would have taken 10, 15, 20 years to grow. And so now we're halfway through Manasseh's reign. He has not only built back the pagan worship centers and the high places. They would go on high places on hills, top of hills and mountains and so forth, and that's where they'd worship. And so not only has he rebuilt all of that, but he spent the first half of his reign as king of Judah building an Ashtaroth, growing this tree and having his husbandmen prune the tree and bend the tree. And then he goes as far as to make golden images of that tree and give them to all of the people of the nation of Israel, or nation of Judah, sorry. So Manasseh now is not just sinful like his grandfather. He has, he has gone another step. 
And God does exactly the same thing. Look at verse Look at verse number 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh, to his people, but they paid no attention. Side note, Ahaz had the same thing happen to him. You might actually know. We don't know the names of the prophets that went to Manasseh, but you might know a couple of the prophets that went to his grandfather. Um, Hosea, uh, Micah, uh, Isaiah. Anybody ever heard of Isaiah? Yeah. We have three of the prophets that went to his grandfather recorded in Scripture. We don't know who these prophets were, but God speaks to them. God speaks to Manasseh by way of prophets. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the armies of the king of Assyria and captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. So Manasseh doubles down on the sins of Ahaz, but God doubles down on the punishment of Ahaz. We never have record that Ahaz ever went into captivity. Manasseh does. God gives him over to the hand of Assyria. And the king of Assyria comes in and takes him captive. Takes him back to Assyria. And that is when, that is when Manasseh's eyes are opened. And Manasseh realizes what he has done. And so, verse number 12. And when he was in distress, same, same phrase that his grandfather was in. When he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an altar, the outer wall, sorry, for the city of David, west of Gihon, in the valley, the same valley that he would have sacrificed his son on the altar. And for the entrance into the fish gate, and he carried it around Ophel. Verse 15, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord in in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings. And of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Now get this. Keep this in mind because we're going to come back to this in a minute. Nevertheless, verse 17. The people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord, their God. So let's recap the, the story of Manasseh. Manasseh takes the throne at age 16. He's going to reign for 55 years. Next time we see him, it's it's kind of summarized up until about halfway through his ministry, maybe 25, 30 years into his ministry, as king of Judah. Because that's what the kings were. They were ministers. They, they were supposed to serve the kingdom of God in teaching and in replication of the scriptures and in faithfulness and so forth. And so we find him halfway through his reign as king. And he has spent the entire time rebuilding pagan worship centers, building this Ashtaroth. And God says, enough is enough. He allows Assyria to come in to take Manasseh captive back to Assyria. Maybe, it may just be that Manasseh walked by the pyramid in Nineveh. It may just be that Manasseh walked through the the stone walls that were built with the bodies of captives of Nineveh. 
And somewhere along that journey, he realizes that what he had done was exactly what his grandfather did and exactly what his father spent his entire life undoing. And that is taking the nation of God and putting them deep into sin, so far into sin that they don't even understand the scriptures anymore. We'll talk about that in just a second. And he realizes, he prays to God, God allows him to go back home. When he gets home, he fixes everything. At least he tries to. He rebuilds everything. He, he reinstitutes the worship of the Lord just like his father had done. And it's a completely different ending than the story of Ahaz, his grandfather. The issue is that there's two things we need to talk about. Okay, We talked about two kings. We need to talk about two different applications of these stories. And that is, number one, and, and you may have already dr- drawn this from the story of Ahaz, but You're, the people that you allow to influence you, now I know we don't, we'll, we'll make the excuse that, well, I'm just around them and, and, and they're just my friends and we just see each other at work and so forth. They're not, they don't have any influence on me. I make my decisions. Well, that's fine. You know something that God has never figured out. So congratulations, you are now smarter than God. Ahaz has one problem and that is he wants to be like everybody else. He wants to spend time with Israel. He wants to spend time with Assyria. He thinks that when he's in a tough spot, the person to go to is the most sinful king on the planet at the time. And I just want to point out that Israel, the the idolatrous nation of the people of God, figured it out before he did. I wonder if there are Christians who who go about their lives living as if they know what they're doing and they're allowing the world around them and the people around them to influence them like Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful. They go about their lives not realizing that the people around them are corrupting their minds. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't you know that evil communications, evil companionships, evil friendships will corrupt your good morals. They go about their lives thinking that they're doing just right. And in fact, what they're doing is trying to be like everyone else around them. They want to have all the nice stuff like the person down the street. They want to be the nice, perfect family. That, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The nice southern family that, that looks all nice and, and, and posts on Instagram all the time. And, every, and you look just like everybody else and everybody's so excited And the people of God see the fault in you before you ever see the fault in you. I wonder if there are Christians like that. Yeah, I think all of us have been there at some point. Ahaz was there. It's bad when the nation of Israel says, wait a second, guys, we should probably not do this because you see how bad Judah is. We don't want to end up like them. Wait, what? Israel is saying that? So that's number one. Number two, turn back to Second Chronicles 33 with me because I want to point this out in the life and kingship and reign and ministry of Manasseh. Manasseh fixes everything. He realizes. He is the, he is the Christian that comes down front on a Sunday morning and fixes it and actually does it. Okay? A lot of times we will repent of sins either personally, uh, privately, or in front of people 
and we, we fix them for a few days, and then we give up. Well, Manasseh's not that. He fixes the problem. He goes home, and he realizes, what is keeping me from my God? That thing is gone. I will destroy it. I will burn it. I will tear it down. I will do whatever it takes to get back to my Lord. And he does that. But the act of repentance often takes much, much longer and much, much work than the acts of sin. And I can prove it in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Verse 16, he also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord, their God. When I first read that, while preparing for this, I realized something. You remember the, 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 the prophets that came to Ahaz, right? Isaiah, Micah, and Hosea. Micah chapter 4 starts off like this. And it will happen in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established. Much the same way that Isaiah chapter 2 happens. But there's a difference. Micah says that the worship is going to happen at the top of that mountain. And when we find Manasseh in 2 Chronicles 33, verses 16 and 17, we have an issue. And that issue is, it's been 30 years now since the people of God were faithful under the king Hezekiah. After a while, our our senses get dulled, our thought processes get dulled, our reasoning in the scriptures get dulled, and we we cease to be able to understand the Bible as much. After we've been in sin for so long, we kind of fill up the spot where we were faithful with unfaithfulness. Manasseh goes back and fixes everything. But it's been 30 years since Micah penned those words that in the mountain of the Lord's house will be established that the worship is going to happen at the top of the mountains. And now the people of Israel don't understand that. What Micah's talking about is the coming kingdom, the church, that the church was going to be visible. No man puts a a house uh, on on a mountain, right? No man hides a candle under a basket, but he puts it out in front of the whole house so that everyone can have light. He's talking about the kingdom, the church, but the people of Judah don't know that anymore. They don't have the ability to reason and read their scriptures and understand it anymore. And they read Micah chapter 4, that worship is going to happen on the mountains, and they keep doing what they were doing to the pagan gods with just one little switch. And that is, now we're worshiping the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Repentance takes a lot longer and a lot more work than sin does. And the people of Israel were at this new phase in their their lives. Because remember that 30 years, just think about yourself 30 years ago. Don't say it out loud, but how old were you? Some of us were older than others. Like, I was non-existent 30 years ago. Okay. I saw on Facebook the other day, what were you doing in 1972? And I said, uh, nothing. (laughs) Anyways, so, 30 years is a long time. The people of Israel, 
They're not going to change overnight. It's going to take a long time. But there's a difference between them and the people and the king Ahaz. And that is, Ahaz has God standing right in front of him. There's a man named Isaiah standing in front of Ahaz saying, you have to fix this or else Assyria is going to come take you captive. No, don't worry about it. Micah, Hosea, three prophets of God who are recorded in Scripture, which means that their words are things that Christians are going to need in the future. That's why we have the Scriptures, all things inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Three prophets of God whose words were important enough that Christians are going to need them 2,500 to 3,000 years later are standing in front of Ahaz saying, you have to fix this. And, Isaiah, and Ahaz says this, uh, yeah, I know I need to fix something. Um, which other nation around me has a God that might be able to help me? I'll take the nation, uh, give me the gods of Israel. Give me the gods of Syria. Give me the gods of Assyria. Give, give me anything I can get. I'll take everything. He looked at God and said, I know I need to fix something. Okay, now where can I find the answer to fix it? Manasseh does the same thing. Manasseh has God standing in front of him. We don't have those prophets' names. But Manasseh has God standing in front of him in the, by way of men who are speaking on behalf of God. And Manasseh says, I know I need to fix something. Now I need to go back to the one who created all, it sustains all, and the one who's standing right in front of me to get the answers. I think there's something important that we can learn from the stories of Ahaz and Manasseh. And that is, when we are overcome, when we're in distress, what we talked about last week, 1 Peter chapter 5 and in chapter 1, that, that what the Christians were going through in 1 Peter in the time of the Jewish persecution and they're, they're having their families forsake them, they're not being able to go and spend time with their friends anymore because their friends are Jews and they're Christians and they don't want to have anything to do with them. And now they're starting to get worried that what if, what if we could actually be killed for what we're doing? They're in the same place. They're in the same type of distress that Manasseh and Ahaz were in. Now the difference in the Christians is that they're in that situation because God is building a stronger church before it ever gets to that point. Remember, what happens in the Old Testament is to show us what God wants us to do in the New Testament. And so he doesn't let the church get to that point in the New Testament. Why, why, does bad, why do bad things happen to Christians today? Even Christians who have never done it. Why do, why do churches, faithful churches who have been around for 150, 200 years, faithful congregations of the body of Christ have to close their doors? Or go through times where there's two or three people. I can, I can tell you lists of churches in this nation who have auditoriums that... The first church I ever preached in had an auditorium that would sit 600 people. 600 people. You think our little stage thing is high? It was about this high. I felt like I was, you know, like a, a pilgrim preacher. You know what I mean? Anyways, 600 people. You know how many people were there the first time I preached? Twelve. Why do churches get to that point today? It's because God's trying to get us to open our eyes, that we need to get to work, that we've got, we've got to stay faithful to God. And Ahaz looks at God standing right in front of him and says, I know I need to fix something. 
Now, where can I go to get the answer? Manasseh says, I need to fix something, and I'm going straight to the source to get the answer. And I think that's something that Christians need to pay attention to. And also, that when we allow the people around us to influence us, we will become exactly like Ahaz. That when something is happening, we don't know for certain when God is using providence to get us to open our eyes, but when something is happening, we will turn to every other option. We'll turn to trying to make our families look great and, you know, hashtag awesome on Instagram, and we'll try to turn to to making ourselves feel like we're worshiping when all we're doing is sitting in a pew. We'll make ourselves feel great because we're looking at everyone around us and not seeing that the person that has all the answers is standing right in front of us through men who spoke on his behalf and wrote it down so that we could have something that is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That the men of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every single good work that we should ever have to do. And it's all right here. In a book that we have to study and learn and, and apply. Because there's coming a time when we're going to be in some sort of distress. And we're going to have to know where to get the answer. And the answer is not looking at someone else down the street and trying to make ourselves look like them. Or taking their gods, you know. I'm going through a hard time. If I can just get an extra job, if I could just get this, if I could just get that, if I could get this promotion, if I could get this raise, so forth. When in reality, the only thing we need to do is figure out that we need to go to God for the answers. If there's someone here that needs to do that, to turn to God for the answers, because you're not a Christian yet, all you have to do is one thing, okay? Don't shoot me yet. All you have to do is one thing, All you have to do is one thing to become a Christian, and that is turn to God and say, I'll do whatever it takes, just like Manasseh did. And what he says it takes is complete and utter submission to him that is shown through an act of baptism. Immersion in water is the point where we, 1 Peter 3, verse 21, it is the inquiry of a good conscience toward God. Baptism is the point where we say, I'm looking to you for every answer. I don't know how this works. But I know that you have said, if I do this, you'll save me. And so I'm doing this because I want you to save me. If you're not a Christian, that's what you need to do. If you are a Christian, let me say this. Ahaz knew what was right. Because he was the king of Israel. He had prophets and priests going to him on a regular basis to tell him, that what you're doing is wrong. Manasseh knew what was right because he grew up around it. He grew up in a time where Hezekiah was righting the wrongs of his father and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding sacrifices in the temple and rebuilding the the worship of God and the understanding and knowledge of the Lord. And he got to a point where he started figuring out that his answers were better than God's answers. And he quickly realized that He didn't figure much out because that wasn't true. If you're a Christian and you need to repent, this is the time to do it. We're all together in one place so that we can encourage one another and build one another up. And that's what we need to do if we're in sin. And so if you need to publicly repent of a sin, let us know. If you need to become a Christian, let us know that as well. We're going to stand. Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement. And let us know while we do that.